in the space of about four months, we ended up doubling the conversion rate on our homepage into free trial signups. Welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business, we interview the experts with ideas and strategies you can implement today. Now here's your host, Paul Clifford. Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. This is the show for entrepreneurs who are either just starting out or those who already have a software company and are looking for techniques and ideas for massively scaling their business. And the way we do that is to interview experts in the market who are already running their software company. And whatever level they are at, they have great content to share. And we dig deep to get factual experiences that you can put into action right now. So today I want to introduce you to Lars Lofgren, who's the growth manager for Kissmetrics. Now, Lars is purely responsible for all the numbers on getting people through the front door. So everything in terms of optimization, conversions, the number of leads, and all the metrics around that from the marketing team. And recently, since November, what he's done is implemented a new strategy after testing lots of different combinations, and he's over doubled the conversion rate for visitors to the homepage. Okay, and you know what Lars has agreed to do is come on the show and spill the beans about this whole strategy, how he put it together, and how he's actually implemented everything since that uh, and over that period of time. So let's get Lars on the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, you know, I know that um, obviously, you know, you work for Kissmetrics and you're responsible for growth, and um, you must have a ton of stuff to do today yes (laughs) always yeah um you know as as i mentioned really excited about having you on the show you know because our uh, audience are you know software entrepreneurs who are either starting up their own software business mainly in SaaS, um or they're really looking to scale and you know what's really interesting you know about your business is you you've really started to scale you know i had a chat with neil Patel the other day and you you're well into the thousands of customers mm-hmm. um you've got great growth rate um you've got some great marketing strategies especially with content marketing um but you know your job as growth man- manager i guess is is to really look at that from the numbers perspective um, and you know, it'd be really, really interesting for us to sort of share some of your your tactics and and things like that uh, around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to go into detail on all of it. Brilliant. So, you know, before before we get down to the nuts and bolts, just tell me a bit about yourself. You know, did, how long have you been at Kissmetrics, and and where were you before that? Yeah, so I've been at Kissmetrics almost two years now. Uh, when I originally started, I was actually on as just as a contractor. And I was working on um, basically just like blog posts, turn some support articles into videos. Then I started doing a bunch of webinars. And now now I'm sort of pretty much right in the, the heat and thick of it all, um, especially on the marketing team. So these days I get to focus mainly on, you know, is our, our monthly leads, is our monthly lead count growing? You know, the leads that we pass on to our sales team. How are our conversion rates doing? Are they improving over time, running our A-B tests? Um, also making sure that we're, we're managing our internal data well. We have a good good insight in what kind of what's what's moving the business and tracking everything. And then also building out the marketing infrastructure so that the, the marketing team can really scale what it's doing. Right. And, and, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, you know, what for, for the benefit of others also, maybe just tell others what Kissmetrics is. You know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've used it before, but you know, for how do you position yourself 
you know, to, to other people? Yeah, the best way to kind of explain Kissmetrics is it's, it's an analytics tool. And the biggest difference between all the other tools in the space, you know, Google Analytics, um, all the other guys out there, they really focus on what's happening, you know, your page views, events that are triggering, visits, all that type of stuff. But Kissmetrics really takes it a step further and, and ties all that data to real people. They tell you who or Kissmetrics tells you who's actually doing it. So whenever you're running reports, you know, like whether it's a funnel, a cohort, um, tracking a metric of yours, whatever, you can always go in and say, okay, give me a list of people that fall into this group so I know exactly who's doing what. Uh, so that's, you know, all your data is constantly getting tied back to real people. And with real people, you can actually tie that down to email addresses and accounts, yep. right? Yep. So, so you can actually trace back the acquisition path from a customer to, you know, how they got into your funnel as a lead, right? Yep. You can see the first traffic source that, that brought that person to your website. You can see everything they did along the way, all the features that they've used, everything they've purchased, all the plans they've been on. Um, and you, if you're recording people's emails and you can get a list of people that meet any set of criteria that you want. And then, you know, you know, you know, it's very easy to know kind of what types of customers you actually have, what their overall behaviors are. And then you can always reach out to them, right? Cause you got your emails right there in the tool. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and your target market, um, so, you know, I know SaaS companies is obviously one because, you know, SaaS companies are always looking at, you know, they're obviously not just customer acquisition, but their LTV and their churn and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is there any other companies that you're looking or any, any other segments that you're targeting? Yeah, the two types of customers that, that we found Kissmetrics really provides a lot of value for is SaaS, like you said, and then also e-commerce companies. Right. You know, basically, any companies that have customers that are doing a lot of activity online, purchasing online repeatedly, uh, and you have that, the majority of that customer lifecycle is online, that's our sweet spot. Okay, brilliant. So, you know, what would be great, I think, is if you can give us some um, some strategies you know, for growth, you know, how, what, what are you doing right now and what's working and, and sort of what, what have you tested and that isn't really working? Yeah. So there's, I there's kind of two ways to approach this. One is the strategy level and one is tactics at the strategy level. I don't even really, I don't get too concerned about what we're actually testing. And the reason I don't get that concerned about the actual test is that really when you, when you look at, you know, growth programs, and if you really are committed to long-term growth consistently, predictably over, over time, you can't look at growth as just a project. You got to look at it as a 24-7 process, something you're constantly doing. And the reason you need to turn it into a 24-7 process is because any of your tests, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, they have, uh, some tests will, will perform really poorly. Most of them are actually a wash. Like the test that you launch doesn't matter. It makes no difference either way. Pick a version. It doesn't matter. Um, and then every once in a while you get a moderate win, maybe a 10 to 30% increase in a conversion rate. And then even rarer out of, you know, every once in a while, um, you, you get a big win. You know, you might be able to double a conversion rate or, you know, increase it by 50% or more or something like that. But those are, they're definitely rare. They don't happen that often. So if you're going to increase conversion rates consistently, um, you need to spend a lot of time really ironing out the process and the resources and the team at your company so that you have the people that are dedicated to running A-B tests around the clock. 
And I typically, I, I, I give a couple recommendations to people. One is, you know, take your core assets. So whatever, whatever marketing pieces of your, of your company that are getting the most traffic, like your, your homepage, maybe like a features page, a few key landing pages. Uh, for us, it's, it's also our blog um, and webinar landing pages, whatever it may be, whatever you're constantly using to convert people. And you want tests running on those pages um, back to back around the clock nonstop. And if you do that, like it's like A-B tests, it's, it's, it really comes down to a quantity game. How many tests can you actually run? Um, yeah, you want to you do a lot of customer research, make sure you're, you're, you're really going after the big wins as much as possible and you're making informed tests instead of just testing random things. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure that you have that process set up in your company so you can run as many of these things as you possibly can. Because um, that's if you play the, the, that process – then you're able to find enough of those moderate and big wins that they really stack up over a 90 day period or especially over a year. Um, but if you, if you kind of bet your company or your marketing team on any one test, odds are that test isn't going to go anywhere. Like our big winners are, you know, they make sense afterwards, but at the time we're never really sure, you know, what's going to pan out. So, so you I, kind of, so just yeah. to, to recap that then, so you're kind of doing lots of small tests. So almost doing things incrementally, you know, making small changes um, rather than putting your money on big changes. Well, we, we rotate between the two. Right. And actually I, I do either one or the other right. depending on um, actually just number of things. But you're, if most of the tests are just single variable tests, like we might just change the copy and a call to action button, or maybe um, just the layout or just the design, um, you know, one element at a time in order to really isolate the variables that are moving the needle. And then every once in a while, we feel like we're, we're stagnating a little bit. We might step back and do a complete revamp and say, okay, if we were to completely redesign this flow, everything top to bottom, what would that look like? Um, and so we do do bigger tests and, uh, those, I mean, sometimes they work really well, sometimes they don't, but that, and we, regardless of whether or not you're doing little tests or big tests, the important thing is to make sure you always have a test running. Um, and if you have the resources to do bigger tests in that, in that, um, kind of cadence, awesome, go for it. We'll make sure you're always running them. Okay. And, and I guess, you know, you've got a team though, right? Who are people who are doing that? What, what, what does that structure look like? Yeah, so right now the the grow team at Kissmetrics kind of split up a little bit. Uh, we've had to move resources around. I, I work with a couple of our engineers on the which are kind of on our product team, and then we have a, a designer on our marketing team that I also work closely with, as well as kind of a data scientist. So it's we don't really have a formal whole team at the moment. I get to bounce around a little bit. But if what, what what's your ideal, build, what, yeah, what's the your, yeah. ideal structure? The ideal structure is you want you want a growth team that has everything in-house, right? Okay. So you don't want a growth team that's doing what I'm doing right now and going to all sorts of different people and begging for resources. What you really need is a growth team that's completely self-sufficient, that doesn't have to, you know, barter with anybody else or, you know, beg them to help out and work on their projects. And so what that means is in order, especially in like kind of an online environment, you end up needing a few core skill sets on that growth team. One is you need uh, like a usually like a, a project manager, product manager type uh, that has that's really interested in marketing or has a marketing background. 
and knows what to test, what kind of things you have potential to move the needle and that type of thing. Then you need um, a, a, probably a designer with some decent front-end skills. And you need a back-end guy that can basically just a full-stack engineer that can touch any part of your product. There's no limitations. And then lastly, you'll need a data scientist that can, that can actually run the analysis. When you get a little bigger and you have enough data volume, you're going to do a lot of like in-depth statistical analysis on all of your internal data to actually help you move in the right direction. And that, that stuff gets complicated really fast. So you'll want someone that's really comfortable with it. Do you know what? I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of people have. I mean, you know, from the marketing side, we're always taught to test everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and even just your basic website, no matter what you're selling, you should always split test. But I find the challenge, you know, even though you've got great tools now like Visual Website Optimizer or Optimizely, um, it, it's really taking that all that data and, and knowing how to analyze it. You know, and especially when when you get to a more complex operation like yourself, you know that's where you really need, as you call them, the data scientists to to dig, drill, and actually take all that data, and make sense of it. You know. Yep, and that's it's actually kind of funny because the the typical methods for A/B testing and analyzing the data, most of them are pretty flawed, um, and the the way that most people are approaching it these days isn't that great. Um, you have to, to actually do it right and to run, to run true controlled experiments and to get solid data on that type of stuff. Um, you end up having to get like into Bayesian statistics, which most people aren't, you know, most people don't even know what that is, let alone know how to use it. And to be honest, I don't even know like how to use it. I just know kind of at the high level how it works and, and how we're using it. But we like we got really lucky and found a great data scientist that loves this stuff and is helping us take it to the next level. Um, so it's, I, I, I can't, I don't have enough good things to say about great people that love stats and love data analysis and can dive into all this stuff. Yeah. I've noticed a lot more jobs appearing anyway for, for, yes, for people like popular. that. You know, you just need the really good sort of mass brain, don't you? You need to love the numbers yep. um, to be able to drill that. And I, sadly, I'm not one of those guys, but at least I can recognize that, right? Yeah. You know, that's key. So, um, so that's the strategic perspective and then um you 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 were going to come into some more tactical um things that people can do and try out yeah so in the last let's see we started in november so that's like four months now four or five months and in the space of about four months we ended up doubling the conversion rate on our homepage into free trial signups uh, which is pretty great that's a lot more leads that we have to work with now and so, you know, we, we use that same strategy, just relentless back-to-back A-B tests. And the we tested all sorts of stuff. We originally had like a, a little slideshow on our homepage. We tried removing that. That actually didn't make a difference either way. We had, we had a sidebar uh, sign-up form on our homepage. We stripped that out and just put it in the center of the page. That actually gave us a decent win. That was like 20 or 30%. Uh, so just putting, you know, making it really easy to sign up and taking your sign-up form and basically sticking it right in the middle of the page. That always helps. Um, the big win that we really got was actually a combination of two things. We completely redesigned our homepage. This is one of those big, big tests I was talking about where you just rethink the whole thing top to bottom. And so we did two main things. One, we stripped off everything on our homepage just to the bare essentials. And it, for the most part, is it's what is 
our current homepage. So, you know, there's just a primary headline, uh, a small bit of copy, call to action button, um, a photo of a guy that's looking at the headline, and then some links at the bottom, a sign-in button in the top right, and that's it. Like really minimalist homepage. And minimalist homepages, that, that's been an, a reliable win for us for a really long time. We've tested other ones in the past, and they always do great. Uh, so if, you, if you're looking for a nice, quick, easy win, um, just strip everything else off your homepage and just give people a single call to action. Do you know what? I mean, looking at that, I mean, I, I've noticed the difference and, you know, there's, there's not a lot that people need to do when they hit that page, right? Because you've yep. got, you've got your differentiator straight away, you know, what Google Analytics is and why Kissmetrics is different. Um, the other thing I've noticed if you, is you've got the sign in with Google. Button. Yeah, and that's the second thing that we launched at the same time. Right. Um, and basically, we our engineers spent some time um, kind of reconfiguring our sign up process so that if you if you authenticate with Google, um, then it's it's much easier to sign up with Kissmetrics at the same time. We kind of cut out some of the steps, um, and that's we tested it against our normal sign up flow a couple times in a couple different ways, and the Google uh, sign up flow works has worked very well for us. So that in combination with the minimalist homepage, um, actually more than doubled our conversion rate. Right, that's amazing. That's, I mean, that's a really good strategy, and 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 you've used one of the you know big imagery as well, especially with someone yep. looking at an op, you know, a, a sign up or or you know from the marketing world, an opt in always you used to work really really well, um, because the, you know that you follow the eyes of the person who's looking. Yeah, people always talk about that. I'd actually, I'd, I'd like to run a test. Maybe I'll do it in the next couple of weeks. We actually replace the image. Maybe we can get an image of the same guy and like have them looking somewhere else and see if it actually makes a difference. Right. Because um, it's like you see these experiments everywhere and like these best, you know, all these you know, um, best, uh, best practices and use cases and all this crap. And, you know, 90% of them don't make a difference. Actually, probably more than that. The vast, vast, vast majority of them don't move the needle at all. Uh, there's a few that really do. And you have to wade through all of them to figure out which ones actually matter. Do you know, you know, I'll- just going off on a bit of a tangent here, but there's something that I really want to test. Um, and that is, I don't know if you've ever used like a, a video lead capture page, um, you know, and lead, lead pages. I don't know if you come across that tool, lead mm-hmm. pages by Clay Collins. Yep. Um, it's, it's fantastic, uh, lead capture tool. Um, but he's got one of his templates is a video opt in template. Um, so you can actually have, you know, a little bit of video running. Um, behind the opt-in and um, so I'm like really keen to almost have like someone being videoed um, walking around with a, a, a big cart you know a big cutout saying opt-in you know and, and with an arrow pointing to the <laughs> opt-in screen do you know what I mean so it's almost like you know that the film kind of blends into what you actually want the user to do yeah, I've uh, I've actually a lot of people talk about using videos in a number of different ways. Um, we've done we've tested video in the past and it didn't work that well for us. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with with tests like that, like you're never really sure is it just the video or is it because you have a terrible video? Yeah. Um, you know, is it execution or is it just the idea fundamentally flawed? Yeah. Um, so we've and the big problem with video is or at least the big barrier that we've always hit is the fact that like videos are not cheap especially good ones. 
Like you have to have a copywriter that really knows what they're doing um, to write the script. And then you have to have, you got to bring some video guys on board that can either do the animation or shoot the video or whatever it is um, to actually give it the, the attention, get, to give the attention, the test, like the love that it deserves to do a valid test. Um, and so that, that expense means that it's not just a quick and dirty test you can do real fast. Mm. Um, it's much more, you, you really have to commit to it. So that's why we haven't done as much stuff on it. But I'd, I'd actually really like to do more testing with GIFs. Uh, maybe on the homepage to test animations. I know GIF infographics are getting really hot right now. Everybody mm. loves GIFs. Um, so maybe, maybe we can find a way to actually use them. And of course, they're not nearly as expensive as full videos. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, funny enough, when Neil was presenting at the Traffic Conversions uh, Summit, you know, he was talking about, he, he called them GIFographics. Yeah. You know, um, which is yeah, they're be a doing big one. really well for him. He's he's posted a few of them on Quick Sprout, and they just get like gobs of traffic supposedly. Um, so maybe maybe we can use a, a few of them to um, actually increase conversions instead of just driving traffic. Brilliant. Okay, so you know just to recap, so we got your sort of high level strategy, what your ideal team would look like, um, and we started started looking at some you know, more tactical things that you've done, you know, on the homepage, which has basically doubled your conversion rate, your sign-up rate for your free trials. Mm-hmm. Um, since when, since you started, this is what, November, you said, I think it was, wasn't yep. it? Yeah. What about, you know, how do you then take that step further? Because the other end of, you know, growth is, you know, you've got the customer acquisition or the trial acquisition, and then you've got, you know, converting those trials into a paying customer. Yep. Yeah. And then you've got the back end, which is obviously reducing churn. Yeah. Yep. How, how do you tackle those two elements? So the, basically you, you, you do it in pretty much the same way you get, and that's, that's why you really need a growth team that can touch the entire product. So there's no limitations like this. Um, you know, for me to run a test in the product, like I actually got to get a lot of buy-in from, you know, the rest of the teams and other people um, instead of, you know, if you, if you have an entire team dedicated to growth, um, then you can just dive in and there's, you know, you, you can go anywhere you want and really tackle the sign up flow, the onboarding process. Uh, you can go after upsells um, or, you know, you could launch, you know, churn reduction type AB tests, things like that. Um, and that's, that's the main point of the growth team. Um, in fact, the you know growth teams as a whole, you know, they got started in, in social with like Facebook and Twitter and Quora and all those guys, and you know for them, you know their their marketing is the product, right? Um, so their their marketing team is very engineering focused. Uh, they're 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 getting their hands in every part of their product in order to find ways to grow the user base. Uh, now we're B two B SaaS, and we have a sales team, so things get a little bit more complicated. You know, we're passing leads onto sales; they're turning them into paid customers. We still have a lot of uh, a lot of product tests. I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to be running, and uh, the the main limitation is can you get the resources and the team together so you can dive into all that stuff. Cool, but but is there any anything that you can share or, or tips or strategies to get that trial customer into a paying customer? Yeah, so a good one. Well, there's there's a few. Um, a good hat to start with is just give people a checklist. Um, so when they create an account, there's going to be things that they have to set up every time, even if it's just like filling out some forms. Um, so always give people just like a step-by-step checklist of, hey, you have a new account. That's great. 
here's where to start and here's the four things that you have to do. And that checklist, see the key that you really want to, you really want to think about here is what we call activation. And a user activates when they finally see the, the core value of your product, basically what you've been promising them the entire time. And basically, so it's, it's using basically the core feature of your product, right? And so if users don't get to that activation step, they're never going to want to pay for it, right? They haven't seen the value. That's the right. entire point of the free trial. So the, a big hurdle that a lot of people uh, struggle with is not just getting people into the trials, but after uh, they do get into the trial, how do we make sure they're actually using the product? And so you can use that checklist to kind of grease the wheels a little bit and kind of push people in the right direction. Um, uh, transactional emails are really important. Um, automating those emails, you can, you can do a full like marketing automation tool if you're big enough or use something like uh, intercom, uh, I think .io. And, you know, they, they do, you can trigger emails based on events or what people are using, you know, get people to come back into the product, give them subtle reminders of, Hey, you still need to set this up. Hey, you know, have you used this over here? Go check this out. Things like that. Mm. I think, you know, one thing, you know, I've used, you know, your product, I've used a competitor's product too. And there's one thing very smart that you guys do. Um, and that that is with your inside sales team. I don't know if you call them inside sales, but yeah, it, it's it an might. inside sales team, right? So we, we, I mean, that's what I used to call them. But um, you know, your your inside sales guys came straight to me like literally the day or two after. Uh, you know, offered me the one to one demo. You know, to to get me through mm-hmm. the on, to get me through the onboarding process. You know, because that uh, as you said, you know, getting getting the customer to the activation stage is quite tricky when they signed up something free. You know, if, if, if they, if they paid something, then it's slightly different because they've got a different mindset. So they're more likely to invest more. Yep. Yeah. Um, but getting something for free, they're, they're less likely to invest unless, you know, the experience is really emotive and, you know, having your inside sales doing the one-on-one demo, um, you know, pulled, almost dragging you through, you know, to get to that activation point, I think is really, really key. Um, and, and I don't know if you know this, but you're one of your competitors. The way they do it is they do it more of a group webinar type thing. So it's less of a touch. Yeah. I've seen that. And it really just like, it comes down to, um, you know, whether or not you're, you're going to build out a sales team at your company, if that's part of the vision mm-hmm. and, uh, the main, you know, how, how expensive are, or I guess, what is your average contract or annual contract value for, for your customer at your company? So what are your margins? Can you can your margins actually support a sales team to do stuff like that? Uh, what you typically see is like at the bottom of any market in kind of the 20 to maybe, um, you know, $150 per month range, maybe a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, you know, you really just don't have the margins to support a sales team. So you end up having to automate everything out of necessity. Um, we're going for the kind of the mid market analytics area. So we, you know, sales is going to be part of our DNA. Uh, and I work very closely with them to kind of ma- help manage that process, automate it as much as possible and, um, get in touch with, with people like you that are trying to kiss metrics and help them as much as possible. Right. And, you know, and I guess, so I guess just taking a step back. So your point is because you, because of the pricing model you're at, you know, where you're talking to the mid to, to high level enterprise, then, you know, that makes your inside sales 
uh, an affordable proposition. I guess the yeah. other the other thing is with, with the analytics tool itself. You know, it's a long term game, right? You know, it is. Your your LTV must be quite good, simply because you know once customers up and running. You know, they're all, all the data is within your platform, so they're they're more likely to stay for a very very long time, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's the goal. Well, it's, it's not just like most most healthy SaaS businesses, like larger ones that are growing very well, typically have you know two to maybe three year customer life cycles um, on average, which is pretty long, um, and even even on the lower end, and so. It's it's either way we're we're trying to get customers for a really long time and analytics definitely the longer you use it the more value you get out of it but on top of that like analytics is you know we all need it we need we need to measure you know what we're doing in order to see what's working and what's not but at the end of the day analytics is is still as an industry not that straightforward uh, we've got a lot of ideas to help move in that direction but inherently it's still kind of a complicated product. Um, so it takes implementation time. You, you got to commit to it in order to do it right. Um, and so it's, it's any, any help that we can, we can give customers along that way is great. Absolutely. And just one thing, you know, I, I know a core part of your strategy is content marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we talked about Giffa graphics and, and, you know, I follow Neil's, um, in Neil's blog, you know, and it's, it's really, really good stuff. You know, when you're tracking how successful, you know, a certain piece of content is, do you, you know, do you, you know, do, in your analytics that's coming into your website, do you try and measure the success of every piece of content that you put out or are you really sort of tracking the channels that they're going out to? So something's coming from Neil's blog or something coming from, you know, a news post or something like that. Most of our analysis and kind of tracking happens at the channel level. Right. Um, and like, uh, I hate telling people this cause it goes against like my personal preference for doing things. I really love like quality over quantity, right? In, in most cases, that's, that's the game I like to play is quality. Mm. And how can we do better content? How can we like, even if it means less content, how can we really blow it out of the park? Um, but in everything that we've done, um, in growing the kiss metrics blog and in, you know, Neil, he's, he's, he's world-class at driving traffic, helped TechCrunch and all sorts of people. Uh, I think he has like three blogs now that are all over a hundred thousand visits a month, which is just crazy. Right. Mm. Um, so, and the, the single most important variable when it comes to driving traffic is just volume. Um, you need to maintain like a decent level of quality, but if you're, if once you have that kind of benchmark, uh, if you're trying to make trade-offs between quality versus, um, you know, quantity, play the quantity game. Uh, and it's the same way with other pieces of content, PDFs, webinars, whatever it may be. Uh, when it comes to just, you know, growing it consistently over time, you need to figure out how to do it every single day or every single week. Right. That's really cool. Now, you know, coming back to, you know, the, the customer side in the, and one thing we did, didn't fin finish on really is the back end of the process, you know, in terms of retention and, and reducing churn. Are there any strategies or tips that you use to sort of monitor that, um, you know, and, and try and try and predict if a customer is going to churn and see how you can sort of recapture them? Yeah. So we've actually the, the data scientist that I keep mentioning a couple of weeks ago, he spent some time 
and actually built a few algorithms to predict which of our customers were going to churn. And uh, so now at the beginning of every month, we pull a list of about 50 people that we consider high risk. And we're, we're testing a couple different strategies at the moment uh, to see, you know, is, you know, can we get them back reliably? Uh, before we were actually, you know, waiting until people churned. And then we had a customer service rep that was com- basically full time, just trying to get them back. Um, but obviously, you know, doing that after the fact is never as easy as doing it before. Uh, so we're, we're, we're reevaluating that process and, and basically trying to, trying to get ahead of it right now. Um, but we, we're, that's still in motion. Uh, the problem with churn is it's really a lagging indicator, right? So if any, any projects that you do against it will take a couple months for them to, you know, really flush out and see whether or not it worked. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll hit on something. So I guess you're trying to find your baseline for, I don't know, let's look at a simplistic level, like the number of logins per month for a customer. You know, if, if the, you know, you've probably got an average and when customers start dropping below that, then that could raise a flag, right? Yeah. And we did our cancellation analysis on, um, oh God, I think, I think you looked at a couple different variables. Logins might've been one of them. But it's kind of funny that you mentioned logins because we also spent some time um, just looking at, to see if there's a correlation on our end between logins and lifetime value or like uh, monthly recurring revenue. And there wasn't, it, do, oh, really? it doesn't correlate at all. Yeah. Which is really funny. So like if, if, if someone on our product team like came out with a feature or something to really, or, you know, myself tried to like come out with a project to spike uh, customer logins, I, I wouldn't expect it to increase revenue at all or reduce cancellations in the long term, uh, which is funny. It's engagement is actually a little trickier of a beast to, to really crack. Uh, you really got to dive into your data and figure out what a healthy customer looks like. And it's going to be different for every company. Wow. Yeah. Because obviously that's the first thing I'd have thought of, you know, and you yeah. just expect for that to follow through, <laughs> right? Wouldn't you? Yeah. Everybody looks at logins like, oh, monthly active user means they logged in once this month. And, you know, that might be a healthy user. It might not. Uh, you, you have to, you got to get a lot of your own data together. You got to really have enough of a sample size to do this kind of analysis and the, the regressions and so forth. Um, but in most cases, you know, logins, I, I wouldn't expect them to be very valuable. Right. Okay. Good. So, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the other things you're focusing on this year, can you give us some insight into that? Yeah. So the big ones are, well, as, as a team, we're really focused we spent a lot of time improving our backend infrastructure. Um, as you can imagine, analytics products, there's a lot of data moving around. And mm. when you start to grow it and scale it, the infrastructure becomes um, a, a, a bit testy and crazy. So we spent a lot of time making sure it's rock solid. Um, and you know that was really a main focus of last year. And this year, we've, we've already started moving back into the front end of the product uh, and really because, you know, for a while in the analytics space, we were definitely on the cutting edge. We did funnels, um, you know, in that, that kind of step-by-step view before anybody else was doing them. Uh, our cohorts were, you know, the first in the space. And we want to get back to that point where we're, we're pushing the boundaries of analytics um, and, you know, where where these tools can go. And we, we've already started kind of going back in that direction. We just refreshed our entire UI. Uh, we've got some more new reports in the works. I don't want to talk about them in case for whatever reason they don't, they don't end up handing out. Um, 
But so we're really focused on the product. And then marketing is, uh, you know, we have two goals, increase leads and increase traffic. So that's, that's what we're primarily focused on. Pretty straightforward, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that easy, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I wish it was. It was as easy to to implement as it is to talk about. Exactly. Great. So, um, any other tips or growth hacks? I guess in general, or things that that you've read that are your favorite sort of growth hack strategies that you could recommend or or point people to. Um. Yeah. So what? I mean, this is a unique one for people that do have inside sales teams and are just trying to get demos. Uh, you know, we, you know, we, I've done so many webinars at this point. I think like 30 some webinars and we tested every method in the book to convert webinar registrations and attendees into demos and leads. And most of just about everything failed or it like wasn't working enough for it to actually matter. Um, and the one thing that really worked for us is during the webinar registration, simply asking people, Hey, do you want a demo? And when people say yes, passing it on to the sales team, if people say no, no worries. You know, they go right into the registration. Uh, and that has worked really, really well for us. And it's based that one little question at the bottom of our webinar registrations have allowed us to actually scale webinars. Right. That's cool. And do you do like webinars every week or, you know, do you have to basically send people, you know, to that and have a regular schedule? Yeah, we're doing them weekly right now. Okay. Um, most weeks we're, we're launching a new webinar. And you, you, I guess you're trying to convert them at the back end of the webinar or you're just leaving it open? That's the thing is like, that's where we started testing is because you know, if you, if you go to any of those like webinar trainings or read any of the books or best practices, everybody tells you to like, okay, spend like 40 minutes, you know, d- delivering great content, really selling benefits, value, all that stuff. And then, you know, roll right into your sales process and people give you all sorts of different tactics for how to manage that transition, you know, for like the last 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is at the end of the webinar. We tested a bunch of stuff and like it kind of works. Um, the problem is like, so you have your email list and then like a, a huge portion of the email list doesn't open the, the webinar announcement. And then a smaller percentage actually you know clicks through the landing page. And then even a smaller cut actually signs up and registers. Then a smaller cut actually attends. And even a smaller cut like is there at the end of the webinar. So by the time you get all the way to the end, you know, and you you have your lead. And for us, that's not even the end of the sales process. That can work if you're selling stuff directly at the webinar. But for us, we have a sales team. You know, they're just a qualified lead at that point. We got to pass them on to our sales reps, go through their qualification process, get people sold, close them, all that stuff. So when you look at that entire funnel, by the time you get through all those steps, like you don't really have much to work with. Um, so it, it would actually work a lot better for us by moving that demo request essentially up a step. So instead of asking people for demos during the webinars, we ask them during the registrations. You have a much bigger pool of people to work with. Mm. Um, and then that's where it actually started to make sense for us. It's like, oh, we can actually generate a decent number of leads reliably at volume um, and enough of them where it actually – because you know webinars are a ton of work, so much work. Uh, and so if you don't generate enough leads, then it's, it's, a, it's a huge sinkhole in just time and, and cost. Um, so it's, you know, that, that actually kind of what, what, what is the thing that made them work for us. Got it. Great. All right, Lars, we're, we're coming to the, uh, you know, the end of our chat. 
Um, you know, and I, again, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of these strategies and tips totally. uh, for everyone. You know, what, um, it, it, what would you recommend other people, uh, you know, read up on any, any particular blogs or books or, um, you know, anything that can give them some additional help or guidance into, you know, growth for their business, for their business? Yeah. For SaaS, there's a couple of blogs I always recommend. Uh, Jason Cohen, who's now this, I think the CTO of WP engine, uh, a smart He always writes great stuff. Um, I think Jason Levin maybe was the, the CEO or founder of, uh, echo sign, which sold to Adobe. He has a blog called sastr.com or saster, something like that. Um, let's see who else. David Skoke, who's like a VC in the SaaS space. I think he's, he's involved with HubSpot. Maybe he talks about HubSpot a lot. He has a blog. I think it's called forentrepreneurs.com. Yeah. This stuff is just fantastic. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, and he's, he's been around a long time as well. He really knows what he's doing. In fact, his SaaS metrics definitions list is pretty much the industry standard at this point. We, we even, we reference that when doing our own internal stuff. Uh, so yeah, he, he's kind of the, uh, very, one of the main thought leaders. Um, if you want to get really serious with kind of attribution, data, um, modeling, that type of thing, check out Kevin Hillstrom. Um, he's, he has a blog called mindthatdata.com. Great stuff. Um, you know, he, he talks about things in ways that no other like analyst does. And he's, he was like the VP at Nordstrom, uh, worked at like lands and all these other companies. You got to start a kind of like catalog, um, like analytics and measurement and analysis. Uh, he does a lot of work that's very applicable to, applicable to e-commerce, but even for a SaaS company, like it's, it's still the, the fundamental concepts he talks about are still very relevant. Fantastic. Brilliant. All right, Lars. Well, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, for anyone listening, you know, go to kissmetrics.com, uh, sign up. It's, it's a great analytics tool. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's about looking at the people in your analytics, not just the data. Um, so, you know, definitely a very, very good tool to use. So thanks again, Lars, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yes, yeah, sure thing. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, you can get the show notes from disruptware.com. And if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this in the iTunes store, then please visit disruptware.com and sign up. That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.